Hey everyone, before we get to today's episode, I wanted to share what I think is a pretty exciting announcement. We are opening up our rival AMP community. So some of you listening have been part of AMP from the beginning of the company. It has been our small, very small friends and family community around Rival where we post updates, ask for feedback, kind of share what's going on in the business. But actually we think there's a lot more potential as we've grown, as our community has grown, as we've met more of you to actually build and scale a proper community within Rival Amp. So what Rival Amp is going to be is it's going to be a community for challenger marketers on WhatsApp. We're going to share ideas and observations from the challenger marketing world that we see and ask everyone to contribute to that. Share about challenger brands, marketing news, industry events, job opportunities, ask for feedback and input, use each other as a sounding board. We think it's going to be really great. So if you are interested in joining and are not already a member, please either reach out to me if you know me or go on over to our website, wearerival.com, and you can apply from there. This is free but we do want to make sure that we're adding people that are really interested and can really add value. That's it. On to the episode. So we'll do a campaign, which is like full throttle, dramatic, exciting, and you'll, you'll see it performing incredibly well and driving perceptions of excitement and drama, but then sustainability, you just see it creeping down. So it's, it's, it's changing and it's our role as when we go back to what I said at the beginning, if our role is to show that high performance and sustainability can powerfully coexist. We're a lighthouse example of that. So it's our role to close that gap and to make those two things sit together. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. My guest today, Henry Chilcott, the Chief Marketing Officer of Formula E, a challenger in the highly competitive world of motorsport. Henry was previously group marketing director at McLaren Racing, a brand he helped to re-architect to be fan-focused and a business he helped grow through several technology partnerships and strategic programs. And before that, Henry spent 20 years in the ad industry in London. So as you will hear, Henry brings a ton of experience and perspective to the table. And this is a special one for me because to be honest with you, Formula E had been on our wish list for a while, I know about the business. I actually knew a couple of people over there. Henry and I got introduced, and yeah, again, as you'll hear, it's a fascinating conversation. Just hearing about how you build—I mean, there's probably no more quintessential example of a challenger brand, particularly one in a category where the barrier to entry and competition is so high. As Henry says, and as I allude to, you know, nobody would have expected, nobody would have thought that a challenger could have come in to really challenge Formula One. And we get to hear about the principles and the practices and the perspective from Henry and the team at Formula E that have led them to be able to do that. So please enjoy my conversation with Henry Chilcott. All right. My guest today, Henry Chilcott, CMO of Formula E. Henry, how are you doing? And are you actually at home in the UK? Because I feel like every time I talk to you, you're off in some exotic place for scouting or at a race event. Uh, yeah, I can confirm I'm in uh, sunny Hammersmith. Uh, the sun is shining over here, which is great. Um, so I'm going to spend some time with my family. Um, and good to be in the country um, for, a, for a, a, a chunk of time. Um, but we're off to Portland just next week in the US. Nice. All right. Well, I really appreciate you making the time. I know you have so much going on. It's the middle of the season. Um, but let's start with the question that we ask every guest. 
as a bit of an icebreaker. What is one challenger brand that you're passionate about right now and why? And it can't be your own. Okay, challenger brand. It's interesting because I, I saw the question and uh, my mind always goes to challenger brands. Um, and uh, I, I obviously misread it because I thought, you know what, I'm not going to go for a challenger brand. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to look at the brand that I remember from years ago, everyone, everyone talked about, and then people talked less about because it was the thing everyone talked about. And that's Apple. And the reason I kind of, uh, uh, just been thinking about them recently is I'm fascinated to hear, you know, the whole AI hype train that's on at the moment and how they're resisting, uh, as a, as a, as a literally a point of policy, uh, jumping on it, um, and focusing on their products, um, and which, of course, have all the same tech and uh, variations of that that same tech in them. But but recognizing that this is something that most people are scared of and threatened by. Uh, but let's just focus on creating amazing products, designing incredible products that are enhanced by uh, machine learning, as opposed to jumping too much into the whole uncanny valley. So, um, so I, I like that. I like the fact that they they're almost kind of even though they're a market leader, they are kind of disrupting the market when everyone else, Meta and Google, etc., are jumping very much both feet in in that. Um, and then just alongside that, just continuing to design incredibly desirable items. Um, uh, we've all seen the uh, Vision Pro now, and um, it just uh, it just manages once again just to raise that bar and 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 create not just that. Um, Kind of desire from a functional, rational point of view, it's an incredible piece of hardware. But 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 just the beauty and aesthetic of it again, they've they've managed to deliver. And uh, so uh, so yeah, so it's uh, it's my uncool option just to, to put out there. But I thought, you know what, uh, we we always come out with, with challenger brands. Sometimes it's it's worthy to to put a pat on the back of some of the uh, the, the bigger 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 boys and girls. To be honest, I think they can certainly be. A challenger brand. One of the things that we say is obviously challenger has this connotation of being a startup or a quote unquote disruptor, but actually being a challenger is much more about the mindset that you approach your category with rather than the stage or the size or the scale that you're at. And actually, you know, think about that old um, Phil Knight quote from Nike, the best way to stay number one is to think and act like a number two. You know, you need to be thinking about how you're going to put yourself out of business, how you're going to challenge yourself, how you're going to innovate within the category, even if you dominate it, or maybe especially if you dominate it. So I will accept that answer. I think that that is a, that's a good one. Thank you. It's very, very gracious. But that's no, a good, you're right. It's a, it's, it's a mentality and a, a spirit uh, and, uh, and, and harder to achieve when you're at that scale. Totally. So, um, Henry, as you know, so I've actually been aware of and I guess loosely around, you know, I'm not um, a directly a fan of motorsports, but I've known about Formula E for a while and I've always been fascinated by what you all are doing. And, you know, I think there is nobody that could claim to be more of a challenger brand than what you're doing. And actually, I'll go back to what you said just before we press record to kind of introduce this conversation. You all said it like it could have been the beginning of a movie, you know, 10 years ago, this challenger entered this category that if you were sitting on the outside, you would think nobody had any business or any opportunity to truly disrupt. And yet, here you are. Here is Formula E. And so I think before we get into the questions that we um, that we prepped for, I'd just love to give you a minute or two. Can you tell us the state of where Formula E is right now? So yeah, so we are, we're season nine. 
um, which is a blink in the eye of an eye in, in, in sports terms, right? A sports fandom is built over generations, right? I'm a, I'm a, uh, in, in most sport, I'm a McLaren fan. I'm not meant to say that uh, they're in a, they're in our championship, but you know, that it predates my time at Formula E when I used to work in the Formula One team. Um, and, uh, and I'm a Southampton, uh, football club fan. Now my, my son's quite upset with me because he's, he's upset with his inheritance because he's got, um, Southampton sadly have just been relegated from the Premier League. Um, and, uh, McCarran's having a bit of a challenging time on, on track. But the point I'm making is that these, these bonds with, uh, um, with, with sports and with teams are, are tend to be generational and we're nine years old. So yeah, that's, that's younger than my eldest son. And uh, um, so that's a that's a challenge and opportunity. But uh, we, alongside that, we have an incredibly impatient group of stakeholders. Uh, some of the biggest car manufacturers on the planet, uh, yeah, big uh, um, shareholders, including Warner Brothers Discovery and Liberty Global, um, and uh, some kind of iconic brands uh, who, who serve as, as our supporters, as our partners. So there's a real desire to to, to grow and accelerate that growth. Um, but there's a reality check that you can't just create a fan base and scale overnight. We work very hard to accelerate that growth, uh, but uh, um, you know there's there's a long way to go. But but in 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 that nine years of which I've only been there, and I can say almost a third uh, um, uh, now of of, of, of that time, um, we've done all right. Right, we are we're a FIA World Championship, so that's something which is granted by the governing body FIA to. To only its uh, biggest, most successful championships, so uh, alongside Formula One World Rally Championship, uh, we have 187 million uh, um, global fans. We race in uh, all around the world, so we have 16 races a season across um, uh, 12 or so cities, including uh, places we've raced, including New York and London and Rome and Berlin, Sao Paulo. Um, and uh, um, Jakarta most recently, yeah, Portland next week, as I said. So, so there's lots of really positive uh, um, uh, uh, tailwinds and uh, a lot of progress made. And also the fact that we have uh, um, the, the, the tailwind of, of of the large ambition of the business that's being set up as a as uh, as a sustain where where high performance meets sustainability and. And driving forward that uh, EV electric vehicle agenda in that in the fight against climate change, and and fundamentally to be a sport which has, uh, achieves that has achieved a net zero carbon status since inception, and be a motorsport, uh, we're proud of because it shows the world that if we can achieve it as a motorsport, then anyone can. So let's start with differentiation. And, you know, I think for marketers listening and really anybody out there, obviously that is a huge part of what builds a successful brand and drives the growth of a successful business. And actually our methodology, the way that we develop brands and build brand strategies is specifically focused on tying together the needs of the audience you're trying to serve, the competitive set and the category convention that you're in, and the proposition of your own brand, both functionally and emotionally, to triangulate what is that point of difference. But we think and really believe that successful brands, challenger or otherwise, are built on top of a clear, sharp point of differentiation in the market. So I guess the place I want to start is, you know, of course, any reactions are built to that. But you coming in three years ago, you weren't starting the brand from scratch, but you've clearly taken it and scaled it. You've taken it and run with it. What were the first steps that you took when you came in 
to think about how to solve because there's the there's the obvious answer of well it's electric cars versus gas cars but i'm sure from a brand and marketing standpoint there's a lot more that you've done so where did you start well arguably i started with <clears throat> going undercover in f1 for <laughs> for show of, uh, four years so i was at mclaren as i said which was which uh yeah i loved had a fantastic time there and uh um yeah it was a, a, a big move to to come over into to formula e but um but what, what I guess that did show me was uh, a decent amount of time in a 70-year-old championship with a 60-year-old team within that championship. So really understanding uh, just how passionate that uh, that fan base, F1 fan base is, um, and uh, and understanding the the bleeding edge technology that sits within that that creates the platform for those kind of racing gladiators that perform week in, week out. So that really helped because then when I moved over into Formula E, I had a, a real respect and understanding for the history of the sport, uh, for the brands and the teams that sat within the sport. Uh, but then understood, you know, we need to find a way to create a, a positioning for the brand which would accelerate um, and unleash greater fandom, deeper fandom, and uh, and broader fandom in a way that could speak to those F1 fans, but not exclusively. And, um, you know, yes, we're electric, but that's how we're powered. And it, 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 it's, uh, it's little more than that. Um, the, where, where we live or die is on our product and no one chews into us because we're electric. No one chews into us because we're showing the world that, um, uh, that you can be more sustainable in, 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 in how you uh, drive kind of performance. They tune in because it's an entertainment platform. It's something I, I, I give my time to because it's going to give me pleasure and I'm going to be entertained alongside any other in competition with any other platform. So, so at the core of everything we have to do is, is make sure that the sport itself is, 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 is incredibly powerful and entertaining and dramatic and all those things. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that later, but, but the first kind of step, um, that, that, that I took was to articulate a, a, a purpose to the brand that the, uh, company and the ecosystem. So by ecosystem, I mean fans, teams, manufacturers, FIA, local governments uh, um, uh, for the race cities to be racing could all unite behind. Uh, that gives a role also to all of our partners who join us uh, and obviously uh, um, uh, uh, bring the kind of uh, um, the revenue into in, into into our business to allow us to do what what we do. And that was a shift from where it was when I arrived, which was we. Um, accelerate the adoption. We're here to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles in the fight against climate change. To a shift to become to accelerate sustainable human progress through the power of electric racing, because not every one of our partners is involved in ele- electric vehicles, but every single boardroom on the planet at the moment are asking the question of how can we drive high performance, whether it's washing machines or holidays or whatever it might be, or, or the the new technology that we've just seen from Apple, but do so and deliver it in a, in a sustainable way um, with a, with less negative impact on, 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 on the planet with a more positive impact on, on, on people. So this Formula E should be a, a platform that is a lighthouse that demonstrates that high performance and sustainability can powerfully coexist. And that platform allows our partners to tell great stories um, uh, uh, to, to that narrative. So just, just double clicking on that for a second. Um, 
So the kind of brand purpose that you developed, and actually I'd be curious to kind of understand how you went about that process, but was around this idea of accelerating sustainable human progress through electric racing. And then what you're saying about why people tune in, that wraps around it, but actually why people tune in will be more for the entertainment, let's call it the product of being at the race, viewing the race, et cetera. So how do those things fit together for you? I guess another way of saying it is, what job is the purpose doing in your marketing strategy of attracting, retaining viewers, building advocacy, et cetera? Yeah, it's an interesting point. So, so the success for us depends on, um, as I said, the product fundamentally, but the product depends on attracting and retaining, uh, the world's great manufacturers and, and teams. Um, and is dependent on us attracting uh, um, uh, great sponsorship uh, and partners and, and 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 revenue. So the the doorway that most of our fans will come through to us through will be. I've heard about this sport. It sounds entertaining. I'm going to give it give it a try. Um, what makes them fall have a kind of deep level of love for the brand is then understanding uh, that the positive impact it has on people and and planet because it aligns with, uh, um, their values system. So you have a, a entertainment is quite a, it's quite a shallow, uh, desire and expectation, right? It's a, it's a Saturday or it's a Sunday. I want to be entertained. Um, and, but there's a deeper, uh, connection we have with brands, which is where they more align with your values. And if you can achieve both, which is I'm, I'm entertaining you, but I'm also delivering positive impact. It's a really powerful, potent, uh, um, uh, uh, kind of combination to have that a lot of brands try and get to. What's interesting about uh, Formula E is its right to exist was predicated on the positive impact it has on the world. So the world didn't need another uh, motorsport series. Uh, the, mo- the world wasn't screaming out for another climate activist group. But the two together, working in a real kind of balance with each other, created a, um, something which was visionary at the time and and now is as we grow the fan base not only uh, um, a fan base full of motorsport fans in the traditional sense some of a number of whom will also of course watch the likes of f1 but um a a a different fan base it, it makes up around about 20 percent of our fan base which we talk about the uh, the electric generation which is a younger more gender balanced um progressive uh, group who uh, who love the sport, but also are really drawn to the to the to the purpose. Um, and what's important about that is there are there are partners and teams who sit with us who also sit in F1. So McLaren, as an example, they're both in F1 and they're in Formula E. If we didn't have this additional audience, if we didn't have these additional brand attributes, there would be no need for them to be in Formula E alongside F1 because they get. Plenty of that from everyone, and it's a, and it's a, a very mature and scale platform. So, driving that difference in terms of our audience profile is essential in order for us to to attract um, uh, um, brands from other um, who also kind of sit in other most sports. It, it's inter- so picking up on a couple of things you said because um, had a lot of thoughts running through my mind. It's super interesting, just from like a academic, you know, marketing case study perspective. Um, so, one which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later on your process and what was needed in building brand purpose and everything you do is not just for the consumer, the customer, the viewers and the fans. 
it's also for these other stakeholders, the partners and the sponsors. So you had to find a way to kind of triangulate a brand purpose within all those, which is probably more prevalent and important for your business given how it works, but really is something that every business should be thinking about. There's not just the customer, there's employees, there's investors, there's you know partners. Um, and so I think what I would call this more holistic approach to purpose is really interesting and definitely a takeaway for me. And also, and again, it's me kind of condensing what you said, but it sounds like, I think a lot of people think of brand purpose as something that you put on the front end. So whether it's just, you know, might not just be about awareness, but it's more something that you build and then you bring people in and give them the experience. But what you're saying is your brand purpose actually sometimes might not be the reason that they come in, but it's a big part of maybe why they stay or why they become advocates or or anything like that. So I thought that was really interesting. And so with what you do and what you're putting out into the world, there's a real opportunity to kind of own uh, that that section of the category a little bit more. Yeah, and no, that's ex- it's exactly right. And it's, I could say with absolute certainty, this is the most complex stakeholder group that I've ever had to, uh, to, to engage with. Um, and that can really, yeah, the, the challenge of that at the beginning when I first started this process, and obviously, as you can imagine, um, uh, it was a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations with with all the different stakeholder groups and understanding what they wanted from the championship and what they needed, but also helping educate them and, and help them understand the kind of value chain, right? Which is, you know, yes, this might be a really valuable for you as a B2B platform, but unless we focus our products in a way which is kind of uh, to inspire and excite our fans, then there is going to be no scale to that platform. So there was a real process to go through to to understand all the uh, um, stakeholders' requirements, which is a pretty standard process as you're trying to uh, position your brand, um, but then create a, a platform that has relevance to all of those those stakeholders, but allows you to show up and, and express that platform in different ways to different audiences. So so we have uh, um, you know, we have season campaigns that launch uh, the, the, the season, which are bold, dramatic, exciting, um, and, uh, and, and, and highly disruptive. Now, some, some, uh, parts of our ecosystem might go, well, that's not quite for me. And the, the, and the point I'll say to them is it's not for you. Um, it's there to drive and, and cut through against first some very noisy neighbors and, and give ourselves a chance of getting onto the, into the, um, minds of, 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 of new fans and to bring them in and so that we can start bring them down that funnel. Um, however, we do have a, a platform called Change Accelerated Live, which is all about uh, showing how we're harnessing our platform to accelerate positive change in the world and through technology, through more sustainable pro- uh, practices, etc. So there's a 360 degrees within our platform with different uh, elements in the marketing mix designed for different parts of, parts of the uh, ecosystem, but with, a, with a, uh, a vision that kind of unites it all. Um, but there's, there are some fascinating, um, things we've learned. I'll just shine a light on in terms of, we talk about racing and reason. So there's two sides to the formula E coin. There's, there's the, uh, there's the racing, the dramatic entertainment, the, the bit that gets the eyeballs. And then there's the reason the the positive impact we have in the world, uh, mostly through accelerating, uh, um, EV adoption. Um, so those two things go together, um, racing and reason, um, kind of high performance and sustainability. But what's interesting is you can literally see when we do uh, campaigns that really lean into dramatic, disruptive, exciting racing, that the 
the graphic equalizer on sustainability drops. And equally, when we and when we talk about sustainability and our progressive, uh, whether it be EV technologies or or the other stuff that we do within sustainability, then the the perception of excitement and drama of the racing drops. So there's a real tension between the two, because at the moment, I think the we we've been conditioned, and this is changing, to think that sustainable versions of things aren't quite as exciting as as non-sustainable, like kind of diet coke, coke, or whatever it is. It's and and the history of of electric vehicles is you know, used to be called milk floats. People didn't think they were ever going to be capable of achieving what what their combustion kind of uh, um, uh, cousins can achieve. Now, of course, that's being proven to be wrong, as happens with every disruption um, in 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 every field that that even we witnessed over over our careers. But um, it's something that we need to be really mindful of um, that that it's there that. That with when you've got two sides of the coin, you've got to recognise that that um, that it's a very potent, powerful mix of the two. But you've got to get that balance right with different people at different times. Otherwise, you can pull yourself in the wrong direction quite quickly. I'd be curious. Uh, I want to make sure that I understand that. So when you say the graphic equaliser between racing and reason, between kind of talking about the excitement of race day and what's actually happening on track versus the purpose and sustainable human agenda and all that. Do you mean it 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 balances or shifts in the perception of the fans? Like they yes. can only think about one versus the other? Huh, that's interesting. But at the end of the day, it all ladders up to the same thing. It does, it does. And so, yes, I should have made that clear. It, from the fan, from the fa- fan research, we can see when we do activity, it's more in the sustainability side versus the more racing side, that they, they aren't, in people's minds, they aren't... Um, uh, they aren't very good bedfellows because they there's there's a perception that high performance isn't necessarily sustainable. That must be changing though, right? With it's, Tesla it's changing, and like all the electric cars, of course, like it's changing. luxury cars coming out. Yeah, but it's but it's fascinating when you literally see it in the data. We'll do a campaign which is like full throttle, dramatic, exciting, and you'll you'll see it performing incredibly well and driving perceptions of excitement and drama. But then sustainability, you just see it creeping down. So it's, it's, it's changing and it's our role as we really going back to what I said at the beginning, if our role is to show that high performance and sustainability can powerfully coexist, we're a lighthouse example of that. So it's our role to close that gap and to make those two things sit together happily. But we've got lots of very powerful people out in the world doing that as well for us. But you have to find the right balance of it because I would imagine, but tell me if I'm wrong, you know, kind of to what you were saying before, it's more the racing that brings people in. And I would imagine a lot of the commercial metrics that you're responsible for driving have to do with new people coming in, people watching, you know, fans, all that. So do you have to kind of, is it, you have to prioritize that and then get in the reason when you can, when you feel like you have enough, uh, enough opportunity to balance the scale a little bit, or how do you prioritize between those two? If my assumption is correct, that it's more the racing that drives the commercial results short term. Your assumptions correct in terms of the, the, the racing and the drama and the excitement is most likely to bring in new fans. Um, and uh, as we said, but, but when they then understand the purpose uh, and the values of the organization, they're, they're more likely to stay and, and feel a, a deeper affinity for, for especially the, the, the younger, younger audiences. Um, so that is true. So you'll see a lot of the content that you see us push out is more in that kind of area. You need to, you know, sometimes it's like... Uh, Let's call it 80-20 and sometimes it flips the other way. But but from our 
partner's point of view, which is our major revenue source, we haven't yet got to a scale where media revenue is significant enough versus like a you know, Premier League or, 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 or indeed F1. Um, partner revenue is so important for us. And when you haven't got the scale you know, of some of our competitors, obviously the narrative, the story is the, is the powerful thing, right? And the story is high performance and sustainability. So if we just make it all about the racing, then, then of course we're closing down that narrative, which is incredibly valuable to our partners because they want to come to us, um, and, uh, either have power in the adjacency to our, our, our kind of purpose driven sport, sustainability, narratives, et cetera. That's, that's certain partners. Other partners to become better in the field of sustainability through the adjacency. So how can we work together? And others to further amplify great work that they're doing in that sustainability and performance um, kind of area. So those are the that the value that this platform delivers to a lot of our partners. So we have to make sure we nurture that aspect. Um, and it is going back to what I said at the beginning. It's what gives us a right to exist. Like at, at, at the outset, you know that's. That's why another motorsport effectively was born, uh, because it could it, it could not only entertain but it could also um, play a very strong role in in showing the world just that what what these electric vehicles were capable of. Be curious, and I was I was thinking about asking this question before, but based on what you said about kind of the audience research and figuring out where that balance is, I definitely want to ask it. You know, I think your business probably more so than others, but I think this is important for everybody. You know, you come in, you build the brand purpose, you build the marketing strategy, you get it to where you want it to be, but things are changing so quickly. Things are changing with the product um, and with all the technological evolutions and, you know, everything that's on the roadmap of how, how Formula E is evolving. Things are changing in the category. Things are changing with the consumer. Entertainment more broadly, because again, like you kind of alluded to at the beginning, you know, you're not just competing with a Formula One or even other motorsports, I would imagine. You're competing with how people choose to spend their time when they want to be entertained. How do you stay on top of all of it? And by that, I mean, how do you know, I guess, it's, it's more than what's working and what's not working. You know, particularly around points of differentiation and brand purpose, we believe that there needs to be a certain plasticity in modern brands. So the idea that, you know, the traditional brand book where everything is the same all the time and needs to be the same thing to everybody for hundreds of years, that's no longer how successful challenger brands are built. They're built by having core tenants that don't change, but having the ability and the culture and the technology and the setup to be able to understand how everything around them and within them is changing and then adapt to those changes. So when it comes to understanding and conveying your points of difference, uh, and conveying your brand purpose, how do you know when to change things and how much do you think about keeping them the same or trying to adapt? If that, I know it's a, you know, broad question, but would love to just hear you talk about that. It's a good question. Yeah, I think, um, having the, what I call the operating system of the brand. So what's our purpose? What are our values? So our values are, wait, do you, you call it the operating system? That's what we call it too. Oh, there we go. There we go. There you go. Uh, maybe I stole it from you. Um, so, uh, so the, the the values that underpin that, and, and the values are really important to me, right? So, values I don't call them brand values. I call them values. Was and what are values? They are the things that the organisation value. And if you value them, they need to demonstrate why you value them through how you act and behave. 
So values become something that inform how we behave inside the organization and how we express ourselves out to the world beyond our organization. Um, our, our four values are vamos, which speaks to our Spanish origins. Um, and, uh, um, is, is all about the, um, the spirit and optimism and can do attitude of, 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 of this, this brand and this sport. Um, there's bravery, which is reminding ourselves that we always need to be bold and disruptive and, and, and not to conform. Uh, there's humanity, which is whilst we are a, a very techno technologically driven sport, uh, technology exists to serve humanity and we want to create amazing experience for our, for our people and, and for our fans. Um, and then finally, impact. This is a sport um, designed to make impact for people, planet, fans, etc. So we have so we have a sense of who we are, direction we're going, the values that are important to us. Um, and then beyond that, we have a kind of an inbuilt uh, um, um, uh, kind of benefit that that is not not unique to us as a, as a sport, but fairly unique to us in, in in the world of brands, which is we are a global sport. So. Whilst there is, of course, the brand Formula E and the ABBFIA Formula E World Championship, which is the the, the, the the championship that travels all around the world, how we show up beyond our social channels and content and uh, is, is through uh, the races that we take to these amazing cities around the world. And that allows us to show up in, in, a, in, in slightly different ways in different places. So consistently, but it allows us to explore to uh, kind of innovate, try new stuff, fast failing, all that kind of stuff um, in, a, in a way which allows us to keep the brand really fresh. So we believe that when we arrive in a city, we shouldn't arrive like a spaceship that kind of lands in a city and everything just goes, you know, our color and that's it. We, we want to make a kind of, a, a, a kind of, a kind of uh, an energy transfer between the city that we race in and the, the racing series itself. We bring that to life graphically through our identity. We bring that to life through the uh, um, the music uh, um, performances, the, the gigs that we that we set up. So we always have local local artists, um, and of course, then you have very different uh, um, uh, tracks and uh, um, uh, with very different uh, outcomes of the races. And, and then we have our podium ceremonies, where we kind of trying to bring the local culture in. So Sao Paulo this year, we did the podium. Uh, which transformed into a uh, into into a carnival float. So the the, the uh, we were the week after the the, the carnival in, uh, in in Sao Paulo. So we lent into the, the local kind of area. So so I think the, the the one of the benefits, the inbuilt kind of benefits of, of being a global sport, is it allows us to know who we are, but also to uh, um, flex that brand in different ways in different places, which keeps it quite, which keeps it really nice and fresh. Um, and as an experienced brand, that's that that that's a real that's something that I've really enjoyed since since, since coming to this into this uh, into this world. So my my takeaway from that, if I'm getting it right, is you kind of need to figure out where you want to play, but not be too rigid with what you do to give you the flexibility with whatever you're doing, wherever the brand and business takes you, to kind of show up in the most relevant way. Yeah, exactly that, and it, it's and it's. A, that that's a we i spent 18 years in in advertising and design agencies and i'm, so I'm very familiar with the the brand books and the the, you know, the the design manuals all these kind of things and they're they're always become very quickly something which feels like a constraint whereas what they really sh really a brand should be it's something that liberates um and as long as everyone knows where the edges are um you know 
when I joined Formery, it was a blue brand. Um, made sense. Blue is a kind of color connected to electricity. It's what all of the manufacturers were using. But it, it meant us that the law of the unintended consequences, we felt quite cold and limited. And we've, we've unleashed like a whole spectrum of color in Formery now. Now our, our kind of home state remains blue, but we've, we've uh, uh, expressed ourselves in a far fuller canvas of color, which allows us to then flex that into the local cultures that we race in, adopt, adopt their colors, et cetera. So it's still clear who we are, but it's, it's far less rigid and far more celebratory because ultimately when people come to our races, we want it to feel like, yes, a sporting event, but a mixed between a sporting event and a festival. Uh, and where everyone's having a lot of fun, there's great music, there's great, great acts, um, and there's a great uh, racing uh, championship at, at the center of it. Okay, so I think I've gotten through one of the questions that we prepped. Uh, so I'm gonna have to figure out how to make the most of the last few minutes that we have. But this is this is fascinating. I think that's a good sign. I think where I want to go, I, I I know that we talked a good amount of, about differentiation and brand purpose. We didn't get to all the questions that we had prepped, but. I want to make sure that we touch on this media company model. And for people listening, they've obviously heard me talk about this a lot, but I really believe that modern marketing is about thinking and acting more like a media company than a traditional marketer. So I think with your category, you know, and it's one of the examples I always give um, with Formula One and Drive to Survive and just such a pure example in my mind of, and I don't actually be curious, I don't know if you know how that actually came about, whether it was them pushing it or Netflix pushing it, but the idea of putting out content that's entertaining, that adds value to the audience you're trying to reach, which then over the long term drives the growth of the business. And I think, you know, of course, there's a lot that's going into evolving F1 right now. So I guess what I want to ask is, you know, my riff on media company, one, is that how you think about it? Two, I know you put out a ton of content. I checked out a lot that was on the YouTube and Instagram, and there's always the dynamic of you've got your tentpole events, but then it is for a lot of people or what you're trying to do is build more of an always-on experience. And I guess three, how often do you get the ask of where's our drive to survive from your CEO? Yeah, it's. Um, we'll start with the uh, last question. So yeah, so like anything of great success, there's, there's the ways your drive to survive. I remember when I was in the ad industry, I think it was Sony Bulls. That was a beautiful campaign, or or Cadbury's Gorilla. That was an amazing uh, uh, campaign with a gorilla playing the drums for for, for Cadbury's. So whenever there's something successful, people people want a little bit of it, right? Um, and uh, um, you know, speaking as someone who was in Series One of Drive Survive, very small part, Lincoln, you'll miss it. Um, Drive Survive is is yeah. In terms of its origins, I yeah, I I. I I don't know um, uh, where it originated from. My hunch is, 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 is it was brought brought to Formula One. Um, has been fantastically successful, and and it's ultimately, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, there's history. So, seventy years old Formula One. Yeah, uh, a little younger than that when Drive Five came came to prominence. Um, it had been a probably the world's most exclusive sport. No one could get close to it. The curtain was closed. Um, it was elitist. And uh, you had all these mythical figures that, that existed within it over the years, uh, but no one really ever got close to them. And that was a, a factor of the fact that, that we didn't have social, there, there wasn't social media and all those kind of aspects. But it was also just a, it, it was the Bernie Eccleston era of, you know, unless they're paying me something, they can't get close. I think, I think he famously once said, 
I'm not too interested in fans that buy Rolexes or something like that. So, so there was that fascinating era, and this is a long time ago. Now, the the current management of F1 have just changed all of that and done a great job in in, in achieving that. But what form, what Drive Survive did is it after 70 years of the curtain being closed, it pulled the curtain back. And when you've got that much pent up uh, um, uh, desire and, and love for a brand. Uh, that's been built over so many decades, but no one's been able to get close. And suddenly you go, well, actually, we're going to pull the curtains back. People are going to lean in. So, so that is just a uh, a, a, a factor of, of of history and unique to a sport that's been around for a long time. Um, and 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 then, of course, you know, you have a big stage, big global stage, and then you have some great characters on that stage. You know, no one knew how they would come up, how they, how they how they would work on screen. No one knew that Gunter Steiner would be a a, a big character from a, a T-principal point of view, but the, 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 they had the stage and the stories came out and it, guess what? Sport is full of a lot of drama, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, human interest stories. And, uh, and, you know, and the whole industry has, has, has come about, um, not on the back of Drive Survive, but there were other things there before it. So really successful. And yeah, if I could wave, wave a magic wand and have my Drive Survive, yes, of course, I'd wave my magic wand and have Drive Survive. But, you have to create the conditions. And this is, the, I guess, the point I want to make. Um, you have to create the conditions for that to happen. Some of those are, are are impossible to do. So I can't make up seventy years of history and and a closed curtain. Um, uh, and, but but most of them are around um, having creating great sport with big characters with huge amounts to win and lose, huge amounts of pressure where you're going to see the frailties of the human human condition uh, kind of exposed for everyone to see um and you get those things right and you get the alchemy of those things right then then occasionally you can get hit in your hands i think the reason so many uh um younger and new audiences have tuned into it is because uh the sport frankly is the stage there's not you know i'd love to be able to dig deeper into it and you don't get to dig deeper into uh, the netflix data but and then how that then crosses over into formula one but my instinct will be that a huge number of the people who tune in to Drive Survive and enjoy the psychodrama that plays out in in, in Drive Survive uh, uh, across Drive Survive seasons are watching it because they're interested in humans with all their frailties and, and 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 the dramas that kind of play out. That doesn't necessarily translate into I love racing, and uh, and and that's not a bad thing. But it's uh, it's it's not a it's not as simple as that worked and therefore our, our audience numbers of people tuning into see our races kind of work. So that's something to be aware of. Um, within the whole mix, you need to make sure you know you you you, you serve everyone. And I think what that's done for Formula One has opened up a whole new audience that, that they simply didn't have before because it's a motorsport traditionally has been a pretty one elitist in in certain areas, certainly in Formula One, but also pretty impenetrable. It's a very uh, hard to understand sport. Uh, for a casual fan so this has allowed people to come into it uh through a, a, more, a much more kind of a for a kind of nursery slope but it'll be interesting to see how that then plays out over time whether it continues to be successful and then how many of those casual fans actually convert into actual um uh, uh, fans who are kind of tuning in more than yeah once a season yeah fascinating fascinating to get your perspective on it um, all right. I know that we are up on time. Can we do a quick lightning round before I let you go? Starting with, what's the biggest win you've had recently? Biggest win? Um, 
Wow, something jumped into my mind, but I, I shouldn't say it. It's just a board meeting that we're not allowed to announce yet. Um, I mean, the, the wins, probably one of the great things of the last season is one of the things that really drives engagement with our sport is uh, um, is, is the places we race in. And we had real success in uh, uh, Cape Town. Fantastic race. Uh, optically, there wouldn't be a sport on the planet that wouldn't give you the right arm to have something that looks as incredible as that. The racing was fantastic. The drama was there. It kind of had everything. So it was just one of those moments where if you get it right um, with our sport, racing right at the center of a city, iconic city, um, with some great with great sport to boot um, uh, and the sun shines, everyone just had a fantastic time. You could just see how much joy on the, on the fans' faces. So that was a great, great moment this season. What is the best marketing resource you've come across recently? Um, I hadn't read these questions. So, I mean, brilliant people. So I've got a fantastic team and um, having young uh, um, uh, team members who come in who just know so much more than I do and challenging me to to explore new things and bring new tools to the table has been, uh, is always the, the single most important thing for me. Um, I will give a shout out to, we've, we've got a new uh, uh, partnership with, um, with uh, Gorilla Scope and um, they have been really, really good at helping driving uh, um, far deeper insight into into our, our targeting, uh, our digital targeting. So that's really delivering some success on our on uh, as we drive kind of uh, grandstand, uh, filling our grandstands and making sure that they're looking great on TV. Cool, I'll have to check them out. What is the biggest lesson you've learned in your career, or a significant lesson that you can share? I think. Given the complexity of the ecosystem, um, and these are um, these are off the cuff. I hadn't heard these, but given the complexity of the ecosystem in in Formula E, um, which and I'd been in Formula One before, and this is way more complex. Um, I think the lessons I've learned is the importance of of understanding everyone's needs uh, and spending time to do that, making sure you're 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 getting the under the the data to understand uh, um, your audience and where the opportunities lie, setting a path and then sticking to it. I think that's the 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 lesson that uh, um uh, that that I've um that, that I would kind of pass on, which is it's very easy when you've got many many stakeholders, all of whom are speaking in the interests of the the, the championship and growth, but ultimately all of whom have individual. Um, uh, requirements and needs and uh, agendas, as of course every every business brand does. It's important to listen to everyone, but ultimately set set a course and stick to it. Um, doesn't mean you can't you, you you don't listen and you don't you don't adapt. And you can always have the the freedom to adapt if 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 needs be. But um, I think the worst thing is to is is to be moved continually by the by the winds of 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 of, of opinion. Um, and ultimately, you'll be judged on your successes, right? In the uh, in the in the in the medium to long term, but but hold your course, back yourself, and hold your course. I like that. Last question: What is one thing people should do differently after listening to this episode? Well, given given a lot of what we've been talking about, um, I think recognize the power of disruption. Um, there's there's immense. Uh, opportunity from finding ways to connect with audiences in different ways and to position your brand in a way which which uh, um, 
delivered something emotionally and rationally for your for your fans that they that, that they hadn't received before um and being disruptive and bold uh cuts through um and, and we've seen that in in our results and it, it reminds me of uh of of of, of there's a John Le Carre uh, quote, and it's a very simple one, but I, I, I liked it. He said, um, "The cat sat on the mat uh, isn't uh, a story, but the cat sat on a dog's mat is the beginning of an interesting story." And and at the heart of that is something I really like, which is you know, disruption is about creating tension, and tension creates heat, and heat gets noticed. So the more we can uh, find ways to do that, not just in small younger uh, disruptive brands but in the bigger ones as well as you as you said at the beginning of this conversation i think more of that is is a good thing there's there's too much content and marketing out there which simply just it just feels too polite and it's too competitive out there you've got to make a noise and you're going to make some enemies along the journey <laughs> that much is sure fantastic place to leave it henry thank you so much for your time really enjoyed this conversation real pleasure thanks so much Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.